0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb,
0: and I'm Julie Douglas.
1: I find it interesting, Julie, that that we can, as humans, can take solace uh, and find some sort of uh, spiritual, almost spiritual comfort in the idea of a supernova, which is something as we're discussing this podcast. That is that uh, on on one level is so far removed from us. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a it's a it's a titanic event, one of the most powerful events uh, that that regularly occurs in the universe. In the universe, Mm -hmm. and uh, it takes place vast distances of both time and space, Mm -hmm. and yet uh, we can find something in there to connect with and to, to to take solace in. And, and leave it feeling better about our place in this vast sea of cosmos.
0: Well, it's the life cycle in macro, right? It's right. a dying star, and it's absolutely brilliant. Right. right. It's visual fireworks. It's a star that suddenly increases greatly in brightness because of a catastrophic explosion that ejects most of its mass. So it, it's a dramatic storyline. So Because, you know, how could you not be caught by this this thing that is imploding and ejecting most of its mass? Right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the death of a star. It's kind of like the death of a god. Like we're totally into that idea as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's really powerful. The core of a massive star runs uh, out of nuclear fuel. Right. This mm-hmm. is this is the sad part. I guess you could say it's sad. but sad, It's yeah. not so much sad, and it collapses under its own gravity to form an ultra dense object known as a neutron star. Uh, but only so much material can compress into the neutron star. So some of the original star's collapsing gaseous outer layers can't fit. Uh, So instead, they they sort of bounce off the neutron star, and then this triggers a shock wave that bulldozes back through the outer layers and blows the star to smithereens.
1: Yeah, the way way I really like to think about it is um, basically you have a situation where a a working star, a functional living star, Mm -hmm. is having to burn massive amounts of energy to expand against the force of its own crushing gravity. So I like to think of it like a poorly run but well-financed business. You know, mm-hmm. where there's a lot of money's a lot of money's being spent to keep uh, keep up these offices. It's like uh, the the company that uh, Tom ha- Haverford, uh, Aziz Ansari's character on Parks and Rec. As, oh right, know, yeah. Where they're spending all this just mad money, and they're not actually bringing money in. Mm-hmm. But all this money's being spent to keep it out. And then what happens? Uh, was it Tommy Fresh Industries or something like that? It
0: was something along those yeah. lines, and they were hiring uh, NBA stars yeah, to yeah. hang out at the office. The hand
1: shrimp cocktails to people. That's right. Um, and uh, And then, of course, they run out of money, and it just collapses and that 's kind of what happens with with a star um, It reaches the point where uh there's nothing else to burn to sustain it to 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 keep it uh, to fight against its own massive gravity mm-hmm. and when that happens, it collapses and in some cases, you end up with a singularity you end up with a black hole, but in other right. cases, you end up with this enormous explosion that jettisons uh you know, all the shrimp cocktail and NBA stars uh, elsewhere <laughs> out into the in the galaxy. Out into the yeah. universe.
0: Yeah, and, and it's really helpful to use these supernovae, nova, uh, plural, to actually study the universe, right? Because right. it's something that we can see, it's something that we know about. Um, it used to, to be that we thought this was terribly uncommon. Right. But it turns out that it is, uh, these stars exploding, these very violent catastrophic events are more common than we thought. Um, and, again, just so you guys understand... Um, How immense this is. They emit in a few seconds an energy equivalent to what they've emitted for their entire lifetime. Um, Our galaxy is about 12 billion years old. So we have seen, well, not you and I, Mm -hmm. you guys out there personally, but 200 million stars exploded during its lifetime.
1: Right. Yeah, I was looking at a a study where uh, from April 2003 to August 2006, the Canada-France-Hawaii telescope uh, watched four parts of the sky – each section that it looked at was about 16 times the uh, area of a full moon, mm-hmm. and uh, which is roughly one ten thousandth of the entire sky. And during that time period, uh, they observed 241 Type 1A supernova. So, hmm. just to give you an, an idea of like how often these things are, are happening, um, and actually, I did a blog post. The guy did a, a neat thing where he um, he set this to music, like he, sp- he sped it up, and then every time there's a supernova in one of these quadrants, it lights up and there's a note, and it's r- really cool.
0: Yeah, it, it is, it's a, a great event. I believe in 1987 they were actually able to uh, witness an explosion of the 19 seven, 1987A supernova, which they had had their telescopes trained on. Uh, but, you know, unbeknownst to them, they actually blew up and they were able to study it quite carefully. Uh, but, again, it, it brings us back to this this whole idea that you put forth, which is, you know, we can't help but look up in the night sky and feel connected. And now that we know a lot more about a supernova, we can better understand that these raw materials hurling out in the universe are actually very deeply connected to our existence.
1: Yeah, which is, I mean, you look back at like just sort of religious and spiritual ideas. I mean, everybody is probably, yeah, not everybody, but, but you see a lot of people into the idea of, of being, say, a child of God mm-hmm. or, being, or having some sort of a connection to a spiritual or heavenly realm. So strip away religious and spirituality and uh, and just look at science. And that's what, what we're looking at here, the idea that there is a connection between these titanic and timeless events uh, playing out in the cosmos and our own small uh, little lives.
0: Yeah, and let's talk just a little bit about sort of the the nuts and bolts of the supernova so that we can all sort of get a firm understanding of what's happening at the center of a supernova. So a star can go supernova in one of two ways. There's type 1 supernova in which a star accumulates matter from a nearby neighbor until a runaway nuclear reaction ignites. And then there's the type 2 supernova, and this is sort of the more spectacular version, in which a star runs out of nuclear fuel and collapses under its own gravity.
1: Right, which is uh, kind of the, uh, the, the the collapsing business uh, analogy I used earlier.
0: Yes, yes. What happens is that as it begins to die, it eventually runs out of hydrogen and then helium fuel at its core. So gradually heavier elements build up at the center and then it becomes layered like an onion with elements becoming lighter towards the outside of the star. And okay. this is where we start to see the spiraling effect of those materials um, throwing off of the star, basically. So that shock wave that we talked about earlier, that actually shoots out the whole outer part of the star. Mm-hmm. And the shock waves compress the gas in space, which triggers new star formations, okay? which is really key to us and to the universe.
1: Right. You have situations um, where j- just imagine just some empty space in the universe where you just have a bunch of dust molecules f- just floating out there doing nothing. Uh, you know, it's like a quiet town. Like Think of it as like a quiet Midwestern town. Everything's just going about its business. Tumbleweeds. Tumbleweeds. But then what happens, right? The hot young uh, rebel on his bike rolls through town, right? And stirs mm-hmm. everybody up. Well, that's, that's kind of what happens when uh, a shockwave from a supernova moves through these particles. It's, it mixes things up a little. Mm-hmm. Suddenly you have pieces colliding into one another. You have, uh, and, and these little bits of dust uh, uh, begin a process called accretion where the gravity of, of minute little pieces of matter begin drawing in other minute pieces of matter until it, and, and it, this snowball effect takes off to where it gets, grows bigger and bigger, eventually becoming... Uh Planets, stars, new systems, new galaxies. So.
0: And this, you know, this this gunslinger, this rebel riding into town, this is happening super fast, okay? Right. Uh, because the core of a supernova, supernova is larger than the Earth, containing about a million times the mass of the Earth. So when a star like, say, the supernova 1987A dies, it collapses to the size of the Earth, which then collapses to the size of London in approximately one second. Wow. I mean, this is—that's amazing, right? So mm-hmm. this this uh, gunslinger shows up, and you know this this uh, ball of fire, and you know if that's not dramatic enough, consider that the materials that spiral off the supernova into the universe during its final seconds have been billions of years in the making, right? Mm-hmm. Millions. For instance, we know that all the hydrogen burns to helium in 10 million years. So this is what's happening when a star dies, right? It starts to take its own material and burn off. So all that hydrogen burns to helium in 10 million years. Um, and then gravity starts to contract the star, making it hotter and hotter. And then helium burns to carbon in 1 million years. And then all the carbon burns to form nitrogen in 100,000 years. Oxygen burns to silicon in 10,000 years. And then during the last day, this is the coolest part, the last day in the life of a star, all the silicon burns to form iron in one day. And this really is the death knell since iron is tightly bound um, in terms of its nucleus, and it has nothing to give in the form of fuel to the star. The really cool thing about this is that these are all the elements that the universe is made of, that the earth is made of, and pretty much what we are made of, right? Mm -hmm. So every atom in your body, according to Lawrence Cross, and he's a theoretical physicist, was once in a star that exploded. Mm -hmm. 200 million stars have created the elements to make up your body. Uh, Hydrogen, carbon, and lithium were part of the Big Bang.
1: So this is where the beautiful quasi-spiritual idea enters the picture, the idea that Our humble little fragile bodies that Mm -hmm. are in the process of growing old and dying uh, contain uh, the elements that were once a part of the, uh, of one of the most uh, colossal powerful events that regularly happens in the universe. They were once the part, part of stars. We're we are made out of these stars. We're made out of these celestial gods. Mm-hmm. We are kind of like the trickle down from that.
0: Yeah. So if yeah. you look up in the night sky and you feel an affinity with it, then it's because we you know, it's the building blocks Of us, right? And Lawrence Krauss says, you know, the atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than your right hand. He says, and this is a great quote, it really is the most poetic thing I know about physics. You are all stardust. You couldn't be here if stars hadn't exploded because the elements, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, iron, all the things that matter for evolution and for life weren't created at the beginning of time. They were created in the nuclear furnaces of stars, and the only way for them to get in your body is if those stars were kind enough to explode. He says, so forget Jesus, the stars died so that you could be here today.
1: Well, we'll see. That's nice. I've, now, I've also read uh, uh, estimates that uh, 93% of the mass in our bodies is actually stardust. So
0: It's a good chunk. It,
1: it's a good chunk. And it just sounds better to say all of it, though, because no one wants to be like, like, we are 93%. <laughs> yeah divine you know that's that's a weird percentage why not just go for a hundred right
0: yeah exactly why not uh let's not split hairs but um you know it's an interesting perspective when you think about that uh your existence in a in a the universe and we actually just did a podcast concerning black swans right Right. black Mm -hmm. swans being these events that seem outliers, outliers that seem like you know you couldn't predict them um And this idea that black swans are everywhere all the time, and in fact, our existence is a black swan, right? Um, And Lawrence Krauss would actually say that there's just, there's many black swans in this universe. We just have to look for them, and we have a lot, many more connections to the universe than just being, you know, part of stardust.
1: Ruminate on that for just a moment, and we will be back with more on the cosmic origins of your atoms. All right, we're back, and uh, we're actually going to discuss a few other um, kind of trippy cosmic uh, connections that you can make to the um, outer dark without uh, having to rely as much on the whole uh, stardust uh, supernova situation.
0: Okay, here's here's one. Are we possibly the extraterrestrials that we've been talking about?
1: Ah, you are, of course, talking about exogenesis. I am talking about The exogenesis. idea that life immer- uh, originates not on Earth, mm-hmm. but somewhere else. The The raw
0: materials for it, at least. Right.
1: uh, The raw materials, at least. uh, Or, you know, you could go crazy and say, get into some ancient alien stuff, but that's uh, that's for another podcast. Uh, for this, though, you're talking about um, the idea that the, the raw materials mm-hmm. end up arriving here mm-hmm. um, via asteroids, meteorites. Uh. Yeah, yeah,
0: and it turns out that Antarctica is really helpful in trying to study this because it's, it's just this vast, white landscape, right? Mm-hmm. Really easy to spot meteorites, right, um, yes. particularly Martian meteorites. Mm-hmm. And since we have uh, looked at the soil composition on Mars, we already know that when we find a meteorite that it could have come from mars when we slice it and dice it and look at the composition so what has become apparent is that uh we are polluted regularly from material from mars and vice versa so material is from earth getting knocked out from the surface and they also make their way to mars um now
1: sometimes we send things to mars too
0: it's true we do little care packages um cookies uh, but we also know, and again, this is Lawrence Cross talking about, that microbes in the Siberian desert can exist without water under harsh conditions for months or even years uh, in a dormant state. And he says no doubt that if microbes existed in a rock on Mars, it could make a six-month trip to Earth once they were knocked out from the surface with no problem. So the big question is, did life on Earth arise here or somewhere else. Maybe we are all the extraterrestrials.
1: Right, and the process of uh, life traveling from one uh, planet to another is called panspermia. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have an article on HowStuffWorks about space collisions. If you look, if you just go to howstuffworks.com, type in space coll- collisions and you'll find a cool little article talking about various uh, cosmic heavy hitters uh, smacking together and also, um The idea of panspermia, the idea of life spreading from one world to another.
0: Yeah. And he also, uh, Lawrence Cross, asked people to think about taking a breath. Think about oxygen for just one moment. (sighs) Okay. Now consider this. Consider that life evolved on Earth for two billion years before it began to produce and use oxygen. Organisms use photosynthesis, which use carbon, di- carbon dioxide, and all those little dudes produce little puffs of oxygen, and over millions of years created more and more oxygen in our atmosphere until, boom, here we are, taking it for granted. Um, he says, Lawrence Krauss says, that in every breath you take, there are an average of at least 10 oxygen atoms from the dying breath of Caesar when he said, <laughs> et tu, Brute?
1: Wow. He's waxing poetic hardcore on this stuff. No, he totally,
0: he's pulling out all the stops. Cause he's like, you know, it's not just, as, as I think you've referred to it before, just a bunch of dead people's breath that we're taking in.
1: Yeah. Cause, cause I mean, we're also, you could also say, Oh, I'm also drawing in the, the breath of every inane thing that was, has ever been said by a politician right. or yeah. a uh, Hollywood starlet. There's
0: right. a dark side of that, but it's true. Every time you breathe, you're breathing in atoms of everyone who has ever lived. So, you know, if there's someone sitting next to you that you just you know, might be annoyed with, you just feel like, oh, man, I can't, I can't muster any sort of empathy for this person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you just have to realize that we actually are all made out of the same material, um, and we're all breathing the same funky breath <laughs> of the earth.
1: Well, it reminds me of the, um, I did a blog post a, a while back about the, the idea that all drinking water was uh, poo at one point.
0: Which, again, Lawrence Krauss will say, he has some interesting things to say about that. Um, He says that, (laughs) this is really interesting, he says, every time you drink in water, you're drinking in the sweat from your parents' coupling that created you. Ugh. I know, Ugh. I know, I know.
1: Even this la- this fancy LaCroix in my hand, it it seems so pure yes. and it's carbonated. Yes, so uh. widespread
0: are our materials. So we just, and, and he says also like any sort of excrement from any sort of sludge that ever existed on this earth, you're also taking it. But this is really cool, too. If you prick your finger and drop a drop of your blood in the Thames, for instance, mm-hmm. um, a year later you could take a tablespoon of water from the ocean and there would be some of the atoms of your blood in that water. Oh yeah, according, it, it, according to Lawrence Krauss.
1: Yeah, it does drive home the yeah the interconnectedness of it all, and that there is um, that we don't stand outside the cycle of mass and matter and energy. That we are uh, a part of this. Uh, we are part of cosmos, really. You know,
0: that's yeah, true. So often we think of su- uh, science as something separate from us, right? Uh, rather than within us.
1: Yeah, I mean that's just. Uh, that's just the way our minds work I and mean, it's one of the reasons we end up uh, you know having all these blinders to figuring out how consciousness uh, works and how and we end up creating all these uh, uh, these ideas of spirituality and religion if you sort of peek beyond those blinders you're forced to recognize that we are a part of the universe as hippy-dippy as that may sound you know it's, we are I mean There you go.
0: Okay, so now you've all put us in a mood for a little Carl Sagan. Oh, yes, Why don't you hit us with a little?
1: Well, yeah. I I imagine a number of people were like, are they going to mention that Carl Sagan quote or not? What's the matter with these people? In fact, they're already writing the emails. How could you leave out the Carl Sagan quote? Well, I have the Carl Sagan quote here for you. And interesting fact, we considered um, trying to get somebody to do a Carl Sagan voice for us uh, for this, but... There was a lot of discussion about. Well, he doesn't really do a Carl Sagan voice. He does a Kermit the Frog voice.
0: That kind of sounds like. It kind of sounds
1: like Carl Sagan. Do do we do we get him to do this in his Kermit voice? Do we ask him to tweak it and do a Sagan? Is that cool? Is that because we love Sagan? We don't want to, and we love Kermit, you know. But,
0: right. And then there's that other dude in the office that always wears a turtleneck, but then that doesn't quite come across. Yeah, that
1: only works if you're in the studio with us. So I'm just going to read it uh, in my uh, serious voice, I guess matter is much older than life billions of years before the sun and earth even formed atoms were being synthesized in the insides of hot stars and then returned to space when the stars blew themselves up newly formed planets were made out of this stellar debris and earth and every living thing are made of star stuff
0: I like that, that was a little I like say the star in it. stuff I a little say in it. yeah
1: yeah yeah the, the star stuff is is uh yeah that, that's it's just a great quote and it really I it drives some so much of what uh, Sagan did so well that he was able to convey this um, this passion for uh, for for cosmos for for the universe for for space for sciences for even you know neuroscience and other uh, related uh, areas as well he was able to relay that passion for it and make it feel like a part of us and not something that we stood apart from indeed incidentally there is also uh, around the same time uh, of the late 60s uh, when uh, when Sagan was thinking about this stuff and formulating these, uh, these ideas, uh, you also had a young Joni Mitchell wrote, uh, wrote a song oh, uh, that's yeah, right, yeah. called, uh, Woodstock, which, um, features the lyrics, we are stardust, we are golden, we are billion year old carbon. And as we close out the podcast here, we're actually going to play a portion of a cover by the, um, by the band Astra, uh, of that song Woodstock that I find, uh, particularly, uh, snazzy. So, um. Uh, b- but before we get to that real quick, if you need to uh, contact us and you want to uh, reach out to us about anything we've talked about in this podcast or other podcasts, you can find us on Facebook as Stuff to Blow the Mind, and you can find us on Twitter as Blow the Mind.
0: And you can always drop us a line at BlowTheMind at HowStuffWorks.com. We are dust. We are golden. We are big. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow.